is my privilege to welcome those of you who are listening by radio or by the internet to our service that is already in progress at the Abundant Life Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located at 1720 North J Street. If you would like to reach us by telephone, you can call us at 702-647-2627. And for those of you listening by radio and would like to listen by the internet, you can reach us and the internet at AbundantLifeLV.org. Our speaker today is no stranger to you. It's our senior pastor, Dr. Calvin Rock. And after our hymn of meditation, which will be brought to us by Sister Elizabeth Boyd, the next voice that you would hear is that of our senior pastor, Dr. Calvin Rock. Our prayer is that you enjoy our services today. Happy Sabbath. I still need help, but we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to sing through me that it may glorify and magnify the Lord.
the day my God calls me home. But on to thee, my heart will go on singing. On to thee, with joy. The day my God calls me home. Sister Brown, Sister Boyd, mind if we sing that chorus with you? Come on back. Let's sing the chorus together. You like that song? I love it. Let's just sing. Let's to our deaconesses and deacons, to our ushers. And don't they look stately today? Our ushers are taking care of us. And to all who have a part in making things work smoothly here for our worship service. We're missing a number of our members today who are away in Salt Lake City. About two dozen or 30 people on the bus that went to the convocation let's not forget them and the services there and their safety and those who are sick among us who could not be here and we will bow our heads as we pray for them in our message now father in heaven thank you for the promise of a better day and until then help us lord to be faithful stewards faithful soldiers but while we pray for ourselves, the sick among us, the weak, the straying, we pray for our brothers and sisters on the journey to the city, to the north, and pray that you will give them safety as they travel. And ask now that as we open the word, that you will do something special for us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.
The book of Romans chapter 15 verses 5 through 7 contains our lead scripture for the message of the hour. Romans chapter 15 verses 5 through 7. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God the subject that is suggested by what Paul is writing here is the liberals and the conservatives the liberals and the conservatives were you to read the entire chapter of Romans 15 and surrounding verses you will discover that the church at Rome was having a number of problems because of differences of lifestyle. There were some very liberal and some very conservative. The conservatives were insisting that the members of the church at Rome continue in some of the traditions which they had brought over from Judaism. They were arguing about feast days and Paul says in one verse don't esteem one day above another and he's not talking about the Sabbath of course but he's talking about all those feast days they had and they were concerned about other actions and lifestyle issues and they were squabbling and 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 debating and so Paul wrote in this part of Romans look be like-minded and translated he's really saying you ought to stop all those senseless debates and receive each other in love and he is saying look there will be some differences of opinion but you must learn to get along together. You must learn to love each other. You must learn to live with certain acceptable differences. Notice, acceptable differences. And to confess and glorify Christ to the world with one united voice. I propose to you that the situation that existed in ancient Rome where Paul sent this letter is mirrored in the church today. It is not a debate about Moses' law versus the Ten Commandments, which is partially what was going on then. We're clear that Moses' law was nailed to the cross. We're clear about that, right? We're clear about that. But rather, it's a case of what we sometimes call traditional Christianity, or more specific for us who are members of Abundant Life and the Seventh-day Adventist Church anywhere, 
traditional or conservative Adventism versus non-traditional or liberal Seventh-day Adventism. And these two camps, often referred to simply as the liberals and the conservatives, demonstrate their differences in various ways, the liberals and the conservatives. And these are shown in the way we keep the Sabbath. Some liberals go hiking on the Sabbath. Some go swimming on the Sabbath. Some go bicycle riding on the Sabbath. The conservatives would never do that. They would be more sedentary and less active. We demonstrate our differences in our diets, what we eat. We demonstrate our liberal and conservative differences in what we do in our social life, particularly on Saturday nights. We demonstrate our differences in our music tastes, the music we listen to at home, and even if you travel around to various churches in various parts of the country, you will see that there are some liberal churches where the music is real upbeat and real loud and a little bit jazzy and jumpy. And then there are more conservative churches where you have more of a traditional worship style. And we demonstrate those differences even in the way we educate our children and where we send our children for their education. And there are doctrinal differences. The liberals are heavy on grace and love and forgiveness. And the Conservatives or traditionalists are heavy on obedience and perfection. And you can even tell that with some preachers. There are some preachers that are very liberal. They're long on grace and long on forgiveness, long on mercy. And they don't say much about obedience and perfection. And there are some conservative preachers who are heavy on perfection Gotta obey hellfire and brimstone and doing right. And these emphasis come through. And we're liberal as we've in indicated in our, in our worship style. There's some who are very liberal. They like to clap and stand and they like drums and, and they like a little demonstration with their worship. And there are others who are more subdued, don't like to clap. Some folks still think clapping is wrong. And notice I'm not saying what's right and wrong yet. But there's some, 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 some conservatives. And you know, interesting thing happened at our general conference in June, for those of you who watched it or listened to it, but our new president, a new president, Elder Wilson, got up to preach, and you know, and he, I think I can say this, he is a conservative. He's a conservative. I think his predecessor, Dr. Paulson, was more of a liberal, and nobody is all one way or the other, but all of us lean one way or the other at least. But he said when he got up to preach, now I'm going to speak to you, 
And there before him were 60, 70,000 people in Atlanta at the general conference session back in June and July. And he said, please don't clap. Now, of course, he got to preaching and the people clapped anyway. <laughs> but he appealed twice, please don't clap. And maybe those who clapped couldn't understand English, I don't know. Because they were there from all over the world. But the more traditional and conservative uh, thinks that way and, and, and doesn't go for the hand-waving and the standing. And, you know, they, they, we have liberals who do that, and we have conservatives who simply sit, and they might wipe a tear or say amen, but that's about as demonstrative as they will get. Now, again, nobody is all one way or the other. You don't find anybody who's all conservative and anybody who's all liberal. All of us are a mixture, but everybody you can pretty much type as being more one way than the other. More one way than the other. There are some members who are liberal in that they will wear certain rings, wedding rings and so forth, but they're very conservative because they won't eat any meat. There are some members who are very conservative because they refuse to buy a parking ticket to go to Cashman to the convocation on those Sabbaths we go. They wouldn't go down there and buy a $6 parking ticket because they're very conservative. But they set their TV recorders on at home to record programs on Sabbath to play on Saturday night. So they're very liberal. In that regard, they know they're not supposed to look at it on Sabbath, so they record it, and sun goes down, they play it. There are some brethren who are very conservative. They would never come to church without a suit and a tie. Very conservative. They come every Sabbath, suit and a tie. But they're very liberal because as soon as the sun goes down, they go to the football game which Ellen White says is a school of brutality. But while we are all a mixture to some degree, each of us, again, is predominantly one way or the other. And the question of what or who is right or wrong and how we can learn to live together in witness and in harmony is what will occupy our thoughts here the next few minutes, and I'm going to continue this next Sabbath because it'll take that long to work through it. But let me emphasize as we begin that there's no one shoe that fits all. And there is no way of outlining for the church, for the membership, the local church, or the broad denomination, no way of outlining in some kind of encyclopedia or dictionary where people can turn and say, let's see, uh, movies, let me look on the M, movies. Or uh, let me see, uh, 
white wall tires, white, let me look under W, white, white, white. There's no book we can hand you to tell you exactly how to live and all the ways to do and, and to guide and every one of the options that we have. We, we do not have such an encyclopedia dealing with such things as how much lipstick to wear, if any, if any, or whether to wear stockings to church or not. We don't have any dictionary for that. Or whether it is right to eat in restaurants on the Sabbath. And a new one cropped up last week, whether or not it is right to play basketball or even to have a Bible bowl. Again, there is no magic wand. But there are some scriptures to guide us. And there's, of course, the spirit of prophecy to help us to think things through and to lead us in proper decision making. And the first of these scriptures that I want to share is found in the book of Psalms, and it is Psalm 119.11. And you know it, but let me read it. Psalm 119.11. Your, or old King James, thy word, thy what, everybody? Thy word. thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not, what? Sin. Sin against thee. Now look at verse 105. Your word, or thy word, old King James, is a lamp to my feet and a what? Light unto my path. And a third scripture, and this is the book of Timothy. The book of Timothy, 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture, how much scripture, everybody? Is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped or furnished to every good work. In other words, we should be clear that whatever the answers are to this liberal, conservative dichotomy, whatever the answer is, it is not a matter of who is right, it is a matter of what is right. It is a matter of what is right, and what is right is what is written in the Word of God. The Bible holds the answer. Seventh-day Adventists believe in sola scriptura, which is Latin sola, meaning only, scriptura, meaning scripture, sola scriptura. We believe that our doctrine, our instructions, are solely from the Word of God, not even the spirit of prophecy gives us doctrine. Ellen White, the lesser light, helps to get us understanding in the times in which we live. But doctrines originate in the Bible and the Bible only. So, whatever we study and whichever way our information is provided, 
we know that the source of instruction is the Word of God, and we know that we decide based upon what the Bible says. But the question is, who are we? That's one of the big questions. Who are we who decide on the truth about these lifestyle issues? Am I the we? No, I am the he, not the we. And I am, meaning you or me, you or I, we're just one little individual member in the great 20 million member church. We're just one little tiny speck in the great whole of the church and how doctrine is decided. And I want you to look at the screen and I want to emphasize what I've done before once or twice and remind you of what happens as to how we do all this. And I think it's the other one that I'd like, the other one that has the world church. Because when we talk about the doctrines of the Seventh-day Adventist church, thank you, we are talking about what people decide from all over the world. This is the world division map. And when we came together, we, I was one of the delegates, being a retired officer of the General Conference, we came together, and when we came together, there were 2,400 approximate delegates from every division. Some of them you heard from Australia today, another from Africa is here today, and maybe some others who didn't speak. But they all come together every five years and study the Bible and study the manual and make decisions as to where the church stands on certain issues. I am not the we. The corporate church is the we. The we is comprised of all of these God-fearing Seventh-day Adventists, tithe-paying Sabbath keepers who come together once every five years and pray and ask God's Holy Spirit to guide in setting doctrines. And that's how it is done. That's how the church manual is organized. The manual that tells us what we do. And that's always been the way that God has set his church to work. Even back in the days of the apostles, look at Acts chapter 15. There was a dispute about circumcision. And the Bible says certain men came down, Acts 15, 1, from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, were they liberal or conservative? They were the conservatives. And these conservatives were going around teaching, unless you circumcise these young boys, just like you did in Judaism before the cross, before the laws of Moses were nailed to the cross, they brought it over. They were very conservative. And they said, unless you circumcise a little boy, you're not right. And others said, no, you're wrong. The more liberal ones said, you're wrong. We, we can't go back to that. We, we don't have to do that anymore. 
And you can read the whole chapter when you go home, and it's an interesting uh, survey of what happened. But look at verse 6. Now the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. And that's what the church is supposed to do, to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, how much? Much dispute. The conservatives and the liberals, if you please, they finally made a decision, and then you read it in verse 10. Now, therefore, why do you test God? This is Peter putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither your fathers nor we were able to bear, and on and on. And they sent out a letter saying, no, circumcision is not necessary. Now, of course, if a mother still or a father still wanted to circumcise the little babies, it wasn't a sin. They can circumcise all they wanted to. But as far as the church was concerned, there was a decision, and the decision was very, very clearly enunciated in the letter that they sent out, and you read that letter beginning in verse 23. But now, some say today, as they said then, I don't agree. I disagree with women preachers in the church. I disagree with ordaining women deaconesses. I disagree with drums in the sanctuary. See, the conservative says, we don't want drums in our churches. No drums. The liberal said, give us drums and play them loud. Let's, let's get on with our praise. Give me some drums. And the, and the conservative says, no, I don't want any drums. I don't want any drums. I disagree. And some say, well, I disagree. We ought to be able to serve meat at our church-sponsored dinners. I disagree when you say we can't. Well, what does one do when one disagrees with the decision of the world church or even the decision of the local church? What does one do? The Bible, again, helps us to answer. The book of Matthew, chapter 18, beginning at verse 15. This was one of the key texts to guide us when we disagree. Matthew 18, 15 to 20. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. If he will not hear, take with you one or two more. And by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. And down in verse 18, assuredly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Is God talking to some individual here? Or is he talking to the whole church? He's talking to the church. And he's saying, he's giving the church power. And he's saying to the church, this church, he's saying to his worldwide church, He's saying to his people, his group to whom he speaks, he's saying, what you bind in, on earth, I will bind in heaven. What you loose on earth, I will loose in heaven. And where two or three of you agree, that means the majority of you agree that I put my stamp on it and I will approve it. And when I disagree, now let me tell you, let me, may I make a confession? I have disagreement in what this world group decided two or three general conferences ago. In fact, I was chairing the meeting with all of these thousands of delegates. It was my turn. I had to chair the discussion on whether women should be ordained to the gospel ministry. 
My understanding of the Bible is that if God gives the woman the gift of ministry, I am nobody to deny it by withholding ordination from her. That's my position. But when all these people got together, and as I said, I was chairing the meeting, I had to chair the whole thing. When all these people got together, and I couldn't speak because I was chairing, so I couldn't get into debate. But when all these people got together, they voted no, women should not be ordained to the gospel ministry. That's what they voted. I disagree. I still disagree. But what do I do? I remember that the Bible says what his people bind shall be bound. And I'm happy to see that it's beginning to change. And one day I believe it will change. But until then, I'm not going to participate in ordaining any women to the pastorate. I will do it to the deaconate and to the elderate because that is permitted in the book. In the, in, in the manual it says so. They decided that's okay. That's number one. We must consider Matthew 18. Now, there's something else we must consider. And this text is the book of Romans chapter 14. The book of Romans chapter 14. And I'm going to read for you just one verse, verse 5. And this is a part of that debate that Paul was, was, was trying to address. One person esteems one day above another talking about those feast days, and they were still arguing about them, the liberals and the conservatives. Another esteems every day alike, let each be fully convinced by his own mind. Is that what it says? Huh? Let each be persuaded by his own mind. What does it say? In his own mind. All right. Now that's the next thing that's got to be remembered with this liberal conservative dichotomy. We must be persuaded not by our minds. We must be persuaded in our minds. That means we have to accept the information and process it in our minds, but we can't make up any information. And we can't be persuaded by our feelings or by our traditions or by what our parents did or by what the church did when I was baptized. We must be persuaded in our own minds by the facts of the matter and by the best of information and not by ourselves. But if we still disagree, then what are we supposed to do? And I read you now from the church manual, and this is what the church manual has to say. And it's quoting our prophet, volume 9, page 260. But when in a general, well, let me, let me start before that. This is Review and Herald, volume 50, page 14. This is page 2 of the manual. The highest authority under God among Seventh-day Adventists is found in the will of the body of that people as expressed in the decisions of the General Conference when acting within its proper jurisdiction and that such decisions shall be submitted to by all without exception. That's the way the church operates. As a minister, 
I submit my disagreement to the will of the people. As a member of the church, if this church votes something, I submit my will to the will of the people. And then she continues in the paragraph I was about to read. But when in a general conference the judgment of the brethren assembled from all parts of the field is exercised, private independence and private judgment must not be stubbornly maintained but surrendered. I, you know, I've got some, some, some fellow preachers I've heard. When the general conference voted, it was okay to wear wedding rings. And I don't want to get in, I can't explain the whole thing right now, only to say that wedding rings or wedding bands were for decades preached against myself and others because we didn't have the problem. But when the world shrank and all these people from all around the world started flying in to the general conference and other places with their wedding rings that they'd been wearing for generations, and Ellen White had said she had no problem with it because it had a distinctive spiritual meaning that they were happily wedded and so forth. And we didn't need it here in the early days because we were a, a colonial society, a gun tooting uh, and, 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 and a, a, a cowboy nation with slaves and picking cotton and, 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 and chuck wagons going over hills. We didn't need wedding rings. But when we came, became an urban society and all these other people flooded in there where all these good Adventists came in with their wedding rings that they've been wearing for generations, preachers and conference presidents and their wives, we couldn't say to them, take all you in America now, take it off. So the brethren voted, we really don't have to have them, but if you want to wear them, it's all right. It's all right, pastors, it's all right. And they never said, please wear them or you gotta wear them. They just said, it's like, eating meat. If you eat clean meats, it's not what is the ideal, but you're still a member in good and regular standing. All right. So what has happened is that the differences have so upset some ministers. I've known some ministers go up and say, the general conference is wrong. They never should have voted that. They shouldn't have done that. This is wrong and that is wrong. And therefore, division occurs. But again, we are reminded by the Word of God and by the lesser light that when we do not agree, we individual preachers, members alike, submit to the body and follow through. The next scripture that I want you to note that sheds informational light on the subject is Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. And I want you to read with me what Hosea has to say. And I have another scripture for point number 2 that you'll also enjoy. But Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, the first verse, and this is the second of the, the guidelines, the light that I want to shine on the topic. It says, my people are destroyed for lack of what? For lack of knowledge. Now turn to the book of Proverbs real quick. The book of Proverbs uh, chapter 4 verse 7. We won't finish today, but I want to get down the road so I can next Sabbath. 
Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get what? Understanding. So the second thing I want to push here this morning is that there are certain spiritual formulas which, if understood, will help us to make our decisions. And one of those spiritual understandings in Proverbs says, get understanding. And Hosea said, we're destroyed for lack of knowledge. One of those understandings is that principles never change, but practices do. Now follow me. Follow me, saints. Principles... P-R-I-N-C-I-P-L-E-S. Principles never change, but practices do. What are principles? Principles are the broad, overriding, overarching guidelines for living derived from Bible study. And they are based upon the character of God. So they never change. God... Malachi 3, 6 says, I am the Lord, I change not. And since principles are based upon his character, principles don't change. Principles, principles like love, mercy, justice, temperance, modesty, and all the great guidelines for human behavior can no more disappear or change than the character of God. But their implementation, their application does change. Take, for example, the principle of temperance. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And 1 Corinthians 9, 25 also exalts the principle of temperance. But now look, there are certain places in the Bible where specific foods and drinks are mentioned that are good or bad, and we thank God for that. But the vast array of options for temperance in diet are not even mentioned today. Paul had no idea that the world was going to last 2,000 years. Paul didn't know anything about microwaves <laughs> and fast food shops. He you don't know think about Kentucky Fried Chicken. And 7-Elevens, he couldn't, he, so he gave us some principles with which we live and that we take with us to Pizza Hut's. We go in there with principles into the casino buffets if you are liberal enough to walk through the machines to go to one. And if you are extremely conservative and you don't want to go through one, pray for the rest of us, please. <laughs> and when we get there, we are to be temperate. Temperate. Temperance is a principle that we have to apply. And so is modesty. Modesty is a principle. And when 1 Timothy 2.9 says women adorn themselves in modest apparel, it means men as well as women. 
Modesty, however, today is different from modesty in Jesus' time. It's still the same principle, but it has to be applied in a different way from Jesus' time and Ellen White's time. If we were to apply modesty today as in Ellen White's time, then we would have to wear our dresses nine inches from the ground. That's what Ellen White said should be done. She said, modest dress, back in 18, whatever it was, modest dress is nine inches from the ground. So if we're going to be modest, just like Ellen White was modest, everybody would have to cover up all the way to nine inches. And that's all right. If you want to cover down to nine inches, cover. But don't try to make everybody else cover. And don't judge those who don't. The second option we have is to apply the principle of modesty not in the exact inches and proportions of yesteryear, but to apply it as fits polite society where we live and when we live. And when I say polite society, let me remind you that Seventh-day Adventists aren't the only people in the world who are decent and trying to do what is right. God has other sheep that are not there are a lot of good Baptist, Methodist, Catholics who are doing the, and others who are doing the best they know how. They haven't heard about the Sabbath, but they're trying to rear their children right. They pray. They read the Bible. They don't like trash in their homes. They don't allow a lot of foolishness. There are a lot of people out in society who are trying to do right. And there is an element of society that keeps us sane. And we can feel very safe in 2010 if we dress to conform with the generally accepted styles of polite and sane society. Which leads me to my third option, and that is, if you like, you can dress like the worldly element of society. And not just dress, but eat and, and order your life like, like the worldly element. You see, there's a polite society, and we can look like them. We can look decent. We, we don't. Yes, 1 Peter 2, 9 says we are peculiar people, but that doesn't mean we are weird people. Doesn't mean we're funny people. Doesn't mean we're ridiculous and completely out of style people. And there is a broad band of society of good people and, and, and societal norms are such that we can live within that and be very safe in our eating, in our recreation, in our dress, and the rest of it. But there's a third way, and that's the worldly way. That's, that's not general society. I'm talking about Hollywood world. I'm talking about gangster world. I'm talking about the hood I'm talking about the style that has young men exposing their buttocks and young women exposing their cleavages.
God says, I am the Lord, I change not. And we need not look like Ellen White and should not look like Ellen White, but we should take the principle of modesty and apply it in 2010 with integrity, with intentionality, and we can be happy, good-looking, well-fed, well-dressed, and happy, well-balanced Christians. But now, finally for today, how... How can I enhance my understanding of these principles and their application? And how can I live a balanced life? And I I think that's what I'd like to hope that I try to be. I'd like to inspire you to be middle of the road in terms of neither extreme, neither extreme, neither extreme, and, and we know each other. You, if somebody said, is your pastor liberal or conservative, what would you say? No, don't say it. Don't tell me. I, I don't even want you to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Just think it. But we know each other, right? We know each other. But my, my hope is that by God's grace, we can be, we can be balanced. Is that a good word? We can be balanced with our children and balanced at our school that we're neither tipped to the world nor are we stuck in yesteryear's inches. We are not that way. We are balanced in the way that we approach. But how can we assure that balance that we need? Well, first of all, let me say we have to be careful. And the most important thing is we have to feed our our bodies and our minds the right food. Minister of Healing, page 307 says that if we don't eat right, we can't think right. Our bodies will not allow us to be any sharper, will not allow our minds to be any sharper than the food we put in. And we put garbage in and we get garbage out. Caffeine, coffee, fermented wine, too much sugar, too much meat, or meat at all, some would say. And all the kinds of food that we put into our bodies that destroy the nervous system and weaken our capacity to to think should be abandoned if we want to be balanced Christians and not fall to either evil. Then there's the mental food, refusing the trashy, cheap, trifling materials on television and our computers and our magazines and our books. And watch out for the excitement, brethren. Councils on Health, page 627 says, too much excitement. You cannot get all excited. And this is football season, so I got to say it. sitting there hour after hour and say, for God so loved the world that he gave what? Too much excitement. Well, and I, every, every season I confess I love sports. 
and I, I know what's going on, but when I see myself getting overheated, I just turn it off. In fact, a lot of it I've, I don't even want to see. I want to see, but I try not to get hooked. So that we don't get our nervous systems out of order. And when our nervous systems, you keep titillating those nerves, and those nerves keep getting excited and stretch and stretch until it destroys our capacity for the calm, understanding, sweet word of God. And we don't think right. We don't think right. But most of all, if we would do it well, volume 6, page 340 reminds us we must study the word of God. We must make God's word our guide. And that's where we began, and that's how I'd like to end. David said, the entrance of thy word giveth light. The Bible, as we study it, will destroy the love for trash and excitement. And the Bible, if we study it, will develop the mind. It will enhance the mind. It'll help us to know what to do with these modest, with the principle of modesty when we walk into the fashion store. The principle of modesty in our mind will apply itself and we can make the appropriate choices. The principle of temperance we take with us into the grocery store. And when we stand in front of the freezer, the principle of temperance in our heart and mind will guide us in the choices that we make. And tell you something else, young ladies and young men, it'll guide you when you make that choice. When he says, will you marry me? A little something will click and say, oh, no, I better not get in this. You know? Or it'll say, it's all right, go ahead. The Word of God is a mind expanser. It is a mind enhancer. The Word of God is what gives us discrimination so we'll know right from wrong. And not only that, it'll give us courage to do right once we see right. And will not only give us information as to what is right and courage to do what is right, it will give us strength to do what is right. The Word of God is power. The Word of God is, is what produces the will and what gives us the knowledge and courage to power to, if we do look different, that's all right, young people, you may look different. And when you're in the middle of the road and you are balanced in this Christian walk, you will look different and you'll be criticized. You'll be criticized by the conservatives and the liberals. But that's where Paul started. He said, we've got to learn to live together. And we've got to learn to be long-suffering. And we've got to learn to love one another. And most of all, we have to learn to keep our eyes on Jesus. We can't keep our eyes on anybody. Can I live a balanced Christian life in Las Vegas in 2010? Yes. Yes, you can. It'd be easier if you moved to the country, if you went back home to Arkansas and live where you don't have to have all this bright lights and bling bling and, you know, be easier. But you're here, so live it here. 
And you live it here by keeping your eyes on Christ. Christ Jesus, who was the champion of balance. He was so conservative that he overturned. <laughs> he was so conservative that he trashed the tables in the temple. But he was so liberal that when he caught the woman in adultery, he said, honey, I forgive you. No matter what they do, I forgive you. That's how liberal he was and is. He was so conservative that he saw a tree that didn't have any figs and he said, curse you tree. That's how conservative he was. He cursed the fig tree because it didn't have any figs. He's a bad man. But he was so liberal that when he saw his disciples fishing all night and couldn't catch anything, didn't have a clue where the fish were, he filled their nets with fish. He's so conservative that he walked away when John's disciples said, who's the best, you? Who's better, you or John? He's so conservative, he turned his back. He didn't even fight. He's so conservative, John 4 says, he turned away and went another direction. But he's so liberal that when Herod said, art thou the Christ? He straightened up in his chains and said, I am he. He is so conservative that he said, all have sinned, past tense, and come short, present tense. But he's so liberal that he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is so conservative that he said, be ye therefore perfect, Matthew 5, 48. Only those who have perfection, like Adam's before he sinned, can get to heaven. You and I can't take this sinful flesh there. He's so conservative, we can't get to heaven with our sinful self, even though we aren't breaking any commandments. The very fact that we are sinners with these germs of evil in our flesh and mind mean that we can't make it. He's so conservative, he won't let us in, but he's so liberal that he came down and died on the cross and he lived a perfect life and he said, here is my robe. You can't make it, but I'm covering you so you can make it in. He is so conservative that when Adam and Eve sinned, he ran him out of the garden wouldn't let them go back in but he's so liberal that he came and walked through the garden of Gethsemane himself and opened the gates again for the whole human race today I offer you Jesus as the ultimate example of how to live right now right here so conservative that he said only the righteous can make it in but so liberal that he turned to the thief who never kept a Sabbath never gave any tithe back 
never gave any Bible study. He's so liberal that when the brother cried, remember me, he said, today I say to you, you're going to be with me in paradise. Oh, you got to love a God like that. And I thank him for his love, don't you? And I thank him for his example. And I want to pledge myself in this wicked generation to understand and to live not for you or for anybody else, but to live for Jesus. And when he shall come a call to hear him say, well done, and take advantage of the liberal conditions he's made for my eternal life. If that's your design and your desire, and you want to stand with me now in that pledge, would you kindly do so? And let's just say to God, thank you. Father in heaven, thank you that you have given us a conservative Ten Commandments and a liberal cross of Calvary. That you've told us what we can and cannot do and that you have given us liberally of your Holy Spirit and power that we can do. And while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed as we conclude this service, that man or woman who is here who does not belong to the Seventh-day Adventist Church, may I speak to you? Just by holding your hand up right now while we pray, you can say, I would like to belong to a church like that. A church that's trying to live right in this wicked world and all of the cesspool society about us, the world about us. I'd like to be a part of a church, not a church of extremes, not a church of fanatics, not a church of wild-eyed liberals, but of people trying to live sane and balanced. I'd like to belong to that Sabbath-keeping people. Would you raise your hand right where you are? We have ushers that will attend to you. We'll take your name. We'll take your address. God bless you, my dear. Who else? And we'll come back and we'll talk to you and we'll give you things to read. And we'll fix you up for membership. Anybody else for membership today? Those of you who live in the city and you're visiting, be sure to put your name on that tear-off on the bulletin. All of you who live in the city and you're visiting today, tear off that little slip on the back of the bulletin, please, and put your name and address and phone number so we can stay in touch. And if you want prayer, if you want some special subject talked about, we have counselors that will visit with you. So you fill out the slip. We'll keep in touch and we'll see that you're well supplied. Anybody else not already hooked up? You see the hand back there, sis? Yeah, all right. Who else? 